Hello, and welcome to Dodecahedron, a podcast by, for, and about role players. I'm Jess Vetters. I'm Amy Jocelyn. My guest Amy here today is uh, filling in for Colin, who could not make it to our recording session last night, so we will be supplementing as we go on. Uh, as a little bit of housekeeping, I'm going to be out of town next weekend, and we won't be able to record then, so you guys will get a nice little canned episode instead of a very up-to-date one like normal. But... All of that fun stuff aside, I have brought in Amy here to talk with me about magic. Kind of just going to have like a a nice little freeform discussion of it because she and I, I mean, we've been we've been working on a new story setting for our own thing. Yeah. Basically, all started with like, what if magic was this? Uh, but aside from our little project together. Amy, tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and why you're here. Uh, Well, I play uh, in some of the campaigns that Jess runs uh, and have done so for the past four years now. And uh, I've played D&D before that. Um, I'm also a writer and I like to specialize in fantasy and dealing with the question, what if, especially when it comes to magic. Which is a big part of the reason why I brought you in here, because you always have really unique and interesting takes on a lot of things that I've seen before, but never quite like the way you do it. Ha 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 ha. So you mentioned that you play in some of the games that I run. Would you care to start this off by talking a little bit about uh, some of the ways that magic has been used in some of those? Because we've definitely done some curious and interesting things ourselves. Yes. Um, I don't think there was any magic that I used when I was the Pugtar. Um, I was a character named Pug, and I played as a dog, kind of half-breed mix. Yeah, like a, like a centaur dog. Yeah, a dog-tar. That's it. And uh, that was the best, but I didn't have any magic in that one. Um, but in the most recent campaign, um, I'm playing a rogue, and I have a few... S- a few spells that I know. Um, my favorite's Grease. I use Grease in everything. It's an all-purpose solution. <laughs> it really is. I've never seen players use spells in quite this way before. Yeah, it's uh, it's good for battle. It's good for not battle. Uh, it's it's good when you want to fry something. Although I haven't done that yet, but now I might. <laughs> oh, God. Use Grease as a cooking spell. Sure, why not? One of the things you guys did that... A little bit caught me off guard when it came up, but definitely amused me to no end. Um, I had put you in a nearly pitch dark basement. Yeah. Against a bunch of deformed giant rats. Oh, yeah. And which came first, the grease or the wind tunnel? The wind tunnel. The wind tunnel came first. So uh, it was very dark and we had... Uh, I had a lantern. It was like one of those focused ones. So it only made like a single beam across the basement floor. And our, was it Druid? Yes. Yeah. He decided he wanted to create a wind tunnel. So he like went outside of the light and like rose himself super high, like levitating in the air and then cast this really powerful wind tunnel. And then on my turn, I just decided like, I'm going to cast Greets into it and just see what happens. <laughs> oh, I remember. He was a, he's a sorcerer. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. I remember this because... He could levitate like that because of one of the um, Xanathar's Guide to Everything, like, subclasses for the Sorcerer, which is the Storm Sorcerer, which is super cool, 
Because there's one of the things that's like, yeah, you can fly like 10 feet in the air just whenever. You can't go higher than that and you can't really move around while you're doing it, but you can just lift yourself up. Basically, like, you ever want to play Storm from X-Men? <laughs> uh, but yeah, so he throws down this wind tunnel and you throw down the grease and that led to some beautiful shenanigans. Yeah. Yeah, so the grease was, it didn't, it went, like, on the floor. Um, and so it didn't actually, like, travel in the wind or anything. But every time a rat stepped in it, it would slide. And because of the wind, it would be pushed back from the wind because it couldn't gain traction on the floor. And it would spread the grease one, like, one grid block yeah, I, further. I think I, I think I did it, like, each slide pushed the grease down 10 feet. Yeah, yeah. And it was great because then you would have, like, these rats that would just be in this powerful wind tunnel slip on the grease and then just, like, tumble over themselves until they smacked against the wall. And then because they're rats and they're giant rats, they're, they're not very smart. So they would keep coming back, trying to attack us again, and then be foiled by the same exact ploy. <laughs> Eventually, one of them got smart enough to move around it before it died. Yeah. Like... Oh, it was a very short, short-lived rat. It was. <laughs> I I wanted to talk about that because one of the things that I see done with magic a lot, especially in Dungeons and Dragons, but in role-playing games in general, is we have these rote spells that are like written down. You've got your spell book, and that's just sort of, as players, that's what we're given. It has one effect in the book, and you use it in those circumstances that meet that requirement, but there is pretty much nothing to say that we can't. And in fact, depending on which book you're reading, there are plenty of things to say that you should use spells in interesting ways and use magic for things that aren't just, you know, throw a fireball or a magic missile at the enemy. And I, I think you guys did something really interesting, which is, like, you found that place of synergy between different kinds of magic. Because, um... You know, in D and D, there are the there are the schools of magic like evocation, conjuration, or is it conjuration? I think it is uh, transmutation. All of this different stuff, and not every player really goes into thinking about like, okay, what do the different schools mean, and how do we use them? But generally speaking, if you've got two different kinds of spells that have two different kinds of effects. The idea of like, okay, you cast this one and I'll cast this one and we'll see what happens when they collide is not something that comes up often. No. And I think it really shows the strength of the DM that they can take that and then just like really make it their own. Um, because, you know, when when I decided to throw Grease into that wind tunnel, like... Jess could have easily have said, uh, that doesn't work like that. Um, that's, that's like mixing spells is not possible in that way but instead he was just like yeah okay and he ran with it and like it that really like was the turning point for that battle and it was one of my favorite memories from that session uh and it just would never have happened if it hadn't been for like the flexibility of being able to say yes and and i think that's i mean like this is a strength that we talk about with role playing on this podcast a lot of just like being able to say yes to your players like oh you want to do this crazy thing yeah, that's a lot of fun. Why not? Uh, yeah. You have also used Grease in a couple of different ways in that campaign. Because 
Yeah. Uh, you have it because it is a cantrip that you chose with your being a um, a rogue. Is oh, it, I'm a, I'm a high a, elf. Yeah, I'm high a high elf, elf and I, I get that cantrip um, because I don't think rogues naturally get magic, at least in that way. Right. Um, but because I'm a high elf, I I have more spells than I think I would have thought, <laughs> which is really cool. And um, but I, I always seem to forget that they're there. Um, and the one I always seem to remember at the oddest times is Greece, and I always try to apply it to that situation. Uh, like another time, there was uh, we were breaking into this this uh, gang, this underground gang's den, and they had this treasury room, and I had snuck in, and I like I felt somebody else in there with me when the lights were out, and I cast Greece to see if like I could trap him or make him slip or fall or at least like see a footprint after he left. So mm-hmm. that's like a non-combat situation for Greece. And there was another one. I think it prevented a fight where uh, a gnome had climbed a tree and he was going to like give our position away. And I cast Greece in the tree and he actually fell out and then died because he fell from a 50 foot tree. (laughs) Um, So that was unintended, but it happened. And uh, we didn't have to fight him because of that. Um, I mean, anytime you can one shot an enemy with a like non-attack spell, that makes for a really interesting session, at least. Especially a cantrip, because you can just cast them. Well, no, this one I have I have two spell slots for. Uh, but mm. especially if you can use, like, a cantrip that you can use at any time. Like, there are, there are other... I've used um, Prestidigitation and Magic Hand, and I think I've even used... I think I have Light. Yeah, I think it, it gave you... It gave you a few to choose from, if I remember correctly. Yeah, so... So like those those can actually be really really handful ha- helpful handful <laughs> they they can be handful um, especially be. if you're using magic hand um, <laughs> but they're uh, they can be actually the linchpin uh, to certain situations uh, if like words just can't get you out or if you need stealth or like you want to avoid a battle because you just don't have a lot of hit points left and you just came out of one um, yeah they're very useful and and. I think what's so great about it is they give you a very vanilla description of what each of these spells do. Uh, it's like, this is the basic gist of the its specs. This is like its radius, its range. This is how long it lasts. Mm-hmm. But everything else is really up to the player in the DM. Because I remember Greece doesn't say whether it catches on fire or not. But there was this time when uh, we were in this, uh, I guess, a little chapel inside a manor. And there was this demonic priest and like a congregation of dead people. And I just really felt like setting Greece on fire so that I don't remember if I wanted to to trap him in it or kill him. Or... It was some sort of crowd control. Yeah. And I had no idea if Greece could catch on fire, but my entire plan like hinged on that. And I asked Jess and he said, you know what? Yeah. Yeah. I don't see why not. Yeah. And, you know, that was one of those situations where if I wanted to make things harder, I could have very easily said, like, no, this is that kind of grease that doesn't burn. But at the same time, that was pretty late in the session. Uh, And it was basically, like, building up to be... Well, okay. Spoiler alert, if I ever actually release this campaign material, that wasn't supposed to be the final confrontation. (laughs) But it basically ended up being... Uh, and it was kind of getting to the, the, uh, the, what's the word I'm looking for? The zenith of the evening? Yeah. Where it was like, all right, it's time to wrap this up. Yeah. It had been like, what, five hours at that point? That was our longest one, I do believe. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was time. It was time for our final battle. We were all gearing up for that to be the final battle. And I think the fact that we all believed it to be, like, just kind of made it happen that way. Mm Mm-hmm. 
that was one of those everybody pulled out all the stops moments, which when you're a third level character, you don't have a lot of stops to pull. Oh no, but we planned so hard for that. Like we oh, had God, three yeah. different entrances and so we split the party up and we had like, I think Molotov cocktails that we were going to throw into them. Uh, it was a giant whiskey barrel that That's you guys it. had rolled in. Yes. And we were going to try to set that on fire and set every, all the dead. We didn't even know if the dead were actually like the non-living dead or, you know, if they were just dead dead. Yeah, they were just dead dead. Yeah, we had no idea. And we just wanted to, like, basically vaporize everything that was in that room. But we worked really hard on our master plan. Like, I think that was the longest we spent planning on anything. Yeah, and see, this is one of those things where it's like, this is a little bit off the topic of what we wanted to get into, but as a DM, when my players put that much effort into, like, coming up with and executing a big plan like that, I have to let them do it. Like, even if, you know, aspects of the plan aren't particularly well thought out, which was not the case in this situation, but I have had that happen in a couple of (laughs) sessions before. Um, Or, like, okay, this wasn't supposed to go down this way in my notes, but, like, what can I do? You guys just planned your way around the final boss. Yeah. It's like... What will be will be, and we have to adapt and roll with it, because ultimately, that's going to be more fun. Yeah. But, <laughs> we came here to talk about... Magic! And what I, I I really wanted to get into this idea of, like, how do you get away from, or how do you move around in the tradition of magic and role-playing being very, you know, I said it before, I'll say it again, rote. Yeah. There are, in my experience, a few ways to handle it, and one of them is basically what we've been talking about. Just, like, trust your players to do interesting and fun things and encourage that by saying yes to it. Like, we basically went bowling with rats in a basement with a giant wind tunnel and grease. Like, letting my players do that, I think, is encouragement to say, like, yeah, use your magic, use your tools, use everything in as creative ways as you can, because nothing is set in stone. Definitely. I definitely know that I'm going to try to be more creative because I know that it's, like, a safe space for creating things like that, because... Basically, anything I make up is not going to fail, and if it does, it's going to fail spectacularly and hilariously. Yes. So, like, nothing's ever going to be bad if I ever pause it. Like, this doesn't really make sense, but, like, let's just try it anyways. Because it's no fun to say, like, oh, no, it it doesn't work like that. You can't do that. Uh, Unless you're talking to a player who, like, just genuinely doesn't know how something works, and they say, you know hey, can I shoot my hail of thorns into the clouds and make it rain arrows? It's like, no, that's that's too much. You can shoot it straight up, and then it'll just come back straight down, and then you've got 100 arrows falling on you. Yeah, well, I think I think you wouldn't even reach the clouds. So I think that you would have to be really high-powered in order to even have a range that would approach cloud height. Mm-hmm. And then maybe you could talk about that happening. But then you'd have to also have, like, a death wish on every village underneath it. Oh, yeah. So well, that's, that's something to work towards. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> it's that sort of out of the box thinking that I expect from my players where it, you know, I posit something and it's like, ah, but that wouldn't really work mechanically. And then somebody comes along and says, yeah, but what if it did? <laughs> 
Like, that's super fun to me. I love the exploration of, okay, but what if this does work? Because that's just so much more interesting than sticking to the rules as they're written. Yeah. What if's my favorite question. So, a little bit of um, backstory, I guess, on what we're working on right now. I don't want to go too far into it because it's still in development and we are planning on releasing this uh, actually quite probably as its own podcast at some point, so look forward to that. Yeah. Uh, We are essentially creating a setting wherein magic works by like vibrations and resonance and frequency and sound. And one of the things that we keep going back to is this idea of like, Okay, but how do how does X work in this world? Like how do how does that truck that you can hear outside of my window affect things by its personal vibrations? Like does that create the right kind of sound to affect things magically? And if it doesn't, then is it are there people out there who are going to say but can it and actually like develop a truck's engine to be able to make the right kind of frequencies that would affect the world? Or mm-hmm. is it like something more passive and something that, you know, people don't want to touch? There are all of these ideas that we've been just like bouncing around back and forth between us. And it really just comes down to basically one question at its core. And I think, I think to me, that question is why? Hmm. And sometimes that why is a why not. Like, if this happens, why? Or if it doesn't, why not? Why does it work this way? Why, 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 Mr. Anderson, why do you persist? I love the Matrix. That's, (laughs) uh, but that gets to what I really wanted to get into with this whole discussion of, like, if you want to change or want to customize or want to personalize the way that magic works in your setting or in your game. I think the biggest question to ask is why? Not why would you do it, but why would magic be used in any particular way? Yeah. It's like uh, Dungeons and Dragons, Druids have a very early spell that they can get that just, like, promotes plant growth. Entangle. Like, it's not, in the books, used to, like, grow corn very quickly. You know, it's supposed to be a whole bunch of vines and leaves and stuff come to life and grab your opponent's feet. But that's a really weird way to talk about what is essentially... You get all of the plants in a small area to suddenly grow really fast and constrict. Why is that just a combat thing? How else could it be used? And this is not a question that needs to be asked with every spell, but it is a question that should be... It's a question that begs another question. Why isn't this used to make crops go grow very quickly? Because, like, if you can make vines suddenly grow 20 feet and wrap around things, you could probably make a small patch of corn grow very quickly and then just, like, harvest the actual corn bits. 
why isn't there a druid in every farm village just going around being like, hey, we need our corn for the day, booyah. Oh, you want tomatoes today? Done. Well, forget even, I mean, yes, definitely in the farming villages, but like, why can't there be a druid in any party who at their camp is in like the remotest nowhere place and they are lacking for food and the druid's just like, no, no, I've got this. And then suddenly grows like, I don't know, a giant berry bush that yeah. then gathers a bunch of animals to come towards it because they're really enticed by the smell. And then you can eat the the bunnies. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's things like this that there are so many possibilities when you're dealing with magic. Like, it's, it's magic. There are no limitations beyond, like, the very basic limits of... This is what this spell actually does. Yeah. And then it's just your imagination. If you if you can come up with a, a convincing reason to why, then basically you can have whatever you want. And I think that's been like one of the greatest points when uh, when we've been coming up with our, uh, our sound is magic mm-hmm. world is like, it doesn't, we haven't, Jess has done some research. Um, I haven't done as much, but research also doesn't entice me as much as just, like, having the raw answers to why and what if. Because, like, you know, research always ends, but you can keep coming up with with creative new ways to use the methods that you've come up with already. Mm -hmm. Well, and for me, and this comes down to the way that I run games as well, like, I do the research and the preliminary work to fuel more discovery as we go forward Mm -hmm. um and a lot of the times what i find does put limits or i I guess i'll say limiters on the sorts of things that i allow myself to think about because i get to this point of like okay by the actual laws of physics this thing doesn't make as much sense but that does tend to open up to like If you think about something like uh, Ray of Frost, which is a pretty common, pretty low-level Dungeons & Dragons spell, you are ostensibly shooting out a beam of cold at whatever you want. At its face, that seems pretty simple. Like, you shoot cold at thing, thing gets icy. But if you think about the way that physics works you cannot actually add cold to something you can use very particular materials that are naturally like functioning at a lower temperature than other things that's the way that refrigerators work we pump particular chemicals into them and like you know fans work by moving air quickly enough that it gets excited and heat dissipates out of it but you can't just like make ice without actually pulling energy out of something so theoretically a spell that works with ice powers is wildly more energetic more powerful than something that makes say a ray of fire hmm and it's the sort of thing where, like, once you start to understand the basic physics of what's happening, you have two choices. The first is ignore it. 
which I think a lot of fantasy settings do, where it's like, oh, we just have different physics here. That's not how ice magic works. That's not how sound magic works. It's like you have a thunderclap spell that causes sonic damage just by making a big enough sound, but it's never going to, like, bust somebody's eardrums. Because that's not, that's not what it's for. Mm -hmm. Theoretically, if you're doing that, like, we can't make enough sound to actually push a person back. Like, it would take a bomb going off, and then it would just be the explosion that killed you, not the shockwave, unless you're like, okay, there actually is physical evidence <laughs> that, like, Shockwaves from things like nuclear explosions do damage on their own, but that damage is pretty quickly followed up in general by, like, you know, the explosion part. That's not the point. What the heck was I talking about? Uh, physics. Yeah, physics. The other option is to, instead of ignoring what, like, the basic science behind the real world says... You can incorporate that stuff. It's difficult, and it takes a lot of thoughtfulness as to how you would do it, but that could make, like, a Magitech sort of setting really interesting. If somebody figures out, hey, when a wizard casts this particular spell, the net energy gain is actually tremendous, and if we can harness that, we can power a city with, like, clean magical energy. Like, why not? Why wouldn't you want to explore something like that? I feel like that would be really interesting. I'm just, I keep thinking back to the to the Ray of Frost, where, like, you would be, you would have to leech a lot of heat out in order to have, like, a frost-like ray being beamed at you. Mm -hmm. And so it's actually making me think that there would probably be a ring of fire around any wizard that would cast Ray of Frost. Because that heat would have to come from somewhere, which would cause kind of an explosion on its own. See, even just, like, the visuals of that, like, what that looks like in my head is so cool. <laughs> a little physics goes a long way. Uh, I, I was actually thinking, though, um, if if you want to, like, promote magic... So so I'm not the, the biggest fan of fighting in d and I know that's, like, more than half of what D&D is all about, but I always find... Yeah that I have more fun whenever we're just in a non-combat situation. And hearing about, like, the druids helping promote crop growth uh, and other things just makes me kind of wonder what it would be like to have a D&D campaign that doesn't have much fighting, but is really more about trying to, like, make your village thrive. And you just, maybe you're on, like, the council, or you're on the guard, or you are just a simple farmer who happens to also be a druid. And you just, you know, you have... You, you have your abilities and you just help it to promote the growth of your village. And like, I don't know, this is kind of like a lot of those settlement games that you can yeah. play on the computer. But, I was just thinking that. But like in a tabletop setting where, you know, you can actually learn things and use those skills to better the people around you and just have a really creative way of doing so. I would actually be super interested to try to run something like that. I feel like it would take a ton of work. It would take a lot of a lot of prep work. Uh, because you would need to obviously have like your village set up and everyone mm -hmm. would need to be on the same page going into it about what they're, you know, you can't just start with the whole, uh, and, and then you just met a party and you all decided you're going to go hunt some monsters together in the nearest cave. Like that's, that's a very quick and easy setup. 
this would take a lot more work because you would need to know your place in the village. Even if you were like just stumbling upon it, like if you are a group of travelers and you are tired and weary and you come across this village, you already need to have that village set up. And that's that's probably similar to the amount of work that, I mean, you could speak to this more, Jess, um, that you would have to do anyways when you're making a campaign setting for your um, your players. Well, I think that varies from uh, GM to GM because... Well, I mean, it varies for me from campaign to campaign. Hmm. Like, the amount of work that I have put into the single city that you guys are in right now in uh, the Tuesday Night Games, I've I've put in a pretty decent amount to that. Like, I've got it mapped out. I have a number of NPCs set up for every given place. Uh, but all of that pales in comparison to what I did a few years back. Um, I was streaming a World of Darkness game for a while that took place in a fictionalized New York City. And for that one campaign, I made over 150 non-player characters. Wow. And, like, I think by the time we were done, it was about 53 different locations. Oof. So, like, I put in... Actually, that that would probably be about the amount of work that I would want to do to say, like, here is your city building, like, low combat, high role playing campaign of like, here's your village, live in it. <laughs> here's the hundred other villagers who live with you. They all have their own lives and things to do. I think I think having a campaign like that would also be very flexible as compared to like, you know, if, if not all the players can come every single week, that's still something that you could have, you know, just like two or three players or all of your players play because mm -hmm. chances are, if you are in a village situation, you're all going to have your own lives and routines that you set up throughout the course of the campaign. And so there are going to be times when you're going to just want to wander off alone and just do things. Yeah. You know, you, you go to your job and maybe no one else, none of the other players have the same job as you. And so you always have to play that alone. But then that affords you the opportunity of, like, having a special campaign session where you're just like, okay, I just want to, I want to get promoted at my job. I want, I want to win this competition. I was thinking that there could be a competition for, for magicians. And, yeah. And wizards and druids, like. Why not? Who can come up with the most creative spell? Like, we have this problem. Figure it out for us. See, I love stuff like that because that is a nice way to bring in an adventure or, like, a, a campaign session. Without making it, you know, oh, there's werewolf goblins attacking, and we need to get all of the uh, heroes of the town together to defend us. It's like, no, it's, this sort of game wouldn't be about things like that. I mean, something like that should probably happen eventually, just to keep it spicy. But most of it's going to feel a lot more mundane. And mundane is good. Well... It can be. There is a... I'm going to butcher this, because um, I'm just paraphrasing. There is a there's a quote that I heard once that was basically like, Good fiction makes the magical mundane and the mundane magical. <laughs> and the idea of like... Yeah, you're just like... Let's say you've got 10 players, because I feel like something like this would be very nicely facilitated by 
playing it over Discord or like a forum or something like that yeah. where yeah. maybe you all get together for one voice session every now and then. But generally speaking, everybody's kind of doing their own thing and you can keep it a little more text-based and that helps keep everything way more consolidated and organized. But you know, somebody's a farmer. Like literally your play session consists of how are you making your crops grow today? Like, that's fairly mundane by any stretch of the imagination, but if you put it into a magical world and how are you making your crops grow today is like, well, I'm going to go out and talk to the uh, water spirit that I've got and make sure that all the crops get properly watered because that's my um, that's my aqueduct situation. Yeah. It's like, okay, cool. I love things like that. <laughs> yeah. You could even say, oh, it's raining today, but I decided I'm going to go off and start inventing a more efficient way to hoe my land. Yeah, why not? Or try to befriend a local rock giant and say, hey, rock giant, I have big rocks. Can you please move them? You can live in them later. I don't know. I don't know what rock giants would do. <laughs> How do rock giants work? <laughs> they work however we want them to. They're magical creatures. They do. Yeah, they are. Maybe you can make rock giants out of the big rocks on your field. Yeah, why not? And then you can just infuse them with magic. But that's the cool thing, too, is because, you know, everyone has their own classes. They're, they're their own species. Like, you only have your limited skill set. And, yeah, you can, you know, read local books or go to your local magic academy. But otherwise, if there's something that you can't do, you're going to try to find someone who can. And I think that's just really magical in itself is that, that spirit of collaboration, whether... It's with mm. some other members of your party, or if it's some NPC that you've just discovered and you're really excited to get to know. Um, maybe it's even something runic and you have to like go discovering for it in the nearest cave system because there are legends that there are some really good manure recipes there. The true magic is the manure <laughs> recipes we found along the way. <laughs> yeah, but I think I think that that has a lot of uh, potential. Definitely. And I think I would be really excited to play something like that because you can still have the combat, like, especially as your town or village gets more expansive and, and extends out and grows and gets more rich, to put it plainly, you're going to have bandits come and you're going to have strangers come and some are, some things are going to be bad and some things are going to be good. Uh, some things are going to really enhance your village. Some are going to try to destroy it and then you get to band together and try to weed out the bad ones. That would be, that'd be a very interesting sort of gameplay experience where it's super low key and just very chill most of the time, but the stakes are as high as they could possibly be because if you are living this, like, to your character, real life, like, if something goes wrong with your harvest, that's your year. That's like, not just your, that's your year. Livelihood. That's your whole village's year. Yeah. Unless there are other farmers out there. But what if there's a blight? What if there's a blight that was actually caused by all of your excessive magic use? Ah, see, that's a, that's something that we should segue into. <laughs> Consequences of magic. Oh, yeah. Because like in Dungeons and Dragons, and this is the one that I talk about the most because this is what I've been playing the most. Uh, sorcerers have to occasionally, if you're the right kind, deal with something called wild magic. Where it's like, every time you cast a spell, there is a small chance that something weird will happen. <laughs> uh, which I don't tend to worry about too much, because it adds sort of a, a wrinkle and a complication that 
most players will not feel a whole lot of a benefit from. But if you've got a group of players who are willing to get into the weirdness of magic, bring in consequences, not just for, like, wild magic sorcerers, but for all magic. Where does magic come from? How do we power it? Because that's something that's never really addressed. Like, you are... Like, if you're a warlock, you get magic from some infernal being, and if you're a cleric, you get it from your deity, but beyond that, like, if you're a wizard, you just make it. But it's very rarely addressed, like, what are you making it out of? I think I think it would be interesting. That's a way that you can, like, make your world your own and, and veer off from, from the D&D guidebook is decide that answer that question like is is there universal magic like are there crystals that exude magic and you have to touch them once every single day to have your magical ability for the day Mm. if you miss it because you're bedridden and sick and you don't have magic like what does that mean for you or is it like every you know do druids have that demon and the wizards just have it innately in maybe their soul or something like maybe it is very different but play to that you know make make limitations and constraints uh, for every source of magic, um, and it can be very simple. It can it can be like just with the spell slots, slot, spell slots, um, mm. that you only have that much magic you can use a day, or maybe magic is more plentiful, but there are costs to it. Like maybe you physically have to pay gold in order to access your magic. Well, and like the the spell slot thing begs the question of if you have. This idea of, I have enough energy to do this each day. Can you push yourself? Can you pull another spell slot out in exchange for like, okay, I did it, but tomorrow I'm going to feel like I ran a marathon. Or, okay, I did it, but now I'm coughing up blood because I just like gave away some of my internal being. Like ask these questions what hap- wait where does magic come from why does it work what happens if you push it yeah because everyone's going to want to if 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 everyone is using their magic to the fullest advantage of themselves they're going to want to push it they're mm-hmm. going to want to find out and if there are consequences the players who are really interested in that are going to try to find out the limitations like, how far do these consequences extend? Is there a way that I can get around them? Yeah. There is uh, There's another system that I'm pretty familiar with, um, which is the mage system in World of Darkness, or I guess now it's called Chronicles of Darkness. Wait, really? Yeah, they changed it a while back, but I can't keep up with, like, what's officially changed and what's still okay to call World of Darkness. Anyway, uh, in Mage, there's this idea that under certain circumstances... Magic, which in that one they do address a little bit of like, where does magic come from? There's just another plane of existence that you are literally just pulling power from every time you cast a spell. Hmm. But that comes with a potential consequence of if you don't do it perfectly, or if, say, someone who isn't aware of magic sees you casting that can actually interact with the spell in a potentially negative way. And instead of just pulling the energy to do your magic, you also, say, 
pull some sort of otherworldly entity into our realm, and now you've got to deal with that. Or it pulls back and, like, oops, it got a couple of your fingers. It's just, like, there are systems that deal with these questions better than something like D&D. Because hmm. D&D is great if you want to go on an adventure with your friends. And it is perfect if you are willing to put in the work to figure out how to make it a little bit more unique for yourself. But it is not ideal for doing things outside of what they planned. Like, you've got to put more work into it. Because there are just parts of a Dungeons & Dragons story that don't really matter to most people. And I think the way that magic works was kind of intended to be one of those. Like, it just does. Don't worry about it too much. But I don't know about you, Amy. I love worrying about things too much. Oh, me too. I do it all the time. Me too, me too. And it's usually fun stuff. Yeah. Fun times, you know? Like, I think, what if the world, every day, several times a day, and I love coming up with new magic systems. Now I'm, now I'm thinking of playing the reverse of World of Darkness and playing the World of Darkness itself, where you are in that other realm of magic, and every day, people are taking magic away from your world, and maybe your friend just got sucked into it and then came back a little later with some extra fingers in its mouth. But, like, you know, how do you oh deal gosh. with that world? <laughs> how do you deal with, like, your dwindling magic? That's a setting right there. <laughs> oh, that one's wild. Ah. Oh. Hey, we are, uh, we're about running to the time where we can, where we can say goodbye. Cool. Do you have any final thoughts on magic? Uh, magic can be really fun if you put the time and effort into it. And if you just, you decide on what you want it to be. And, you know, that can be a personal thing, uh, you know, as you, the player, uh, if no one else in your party is really interested in magic, you can still play with Greece and use it in every situation and see how it turns out. Or you can have a talk with your party and your DM and you can come up with a whole world where magic is the pinnacle and the peak and you have to just make up a system around that either way it's fun that it is yeah i mean like my my last thing is just gonna be piggybacking off of that and it's magic is fun <laughs> like it's it's the one thing that connects almost every role-playing setting that we don't have in the real world yeah. Like, play with it. Let yourself have fun and figure out why it is what it is. And, you know, even if you don't want to dive into, like, the metaphysical analysis of what is magic, figure out how to do unexpected things with it. Like, you, you don't have to dive too deep into the actual nature of spells, but... By gosh, there's no reason not to, like, just throw some stuff at the wall and see what sticks. If anything, just remember, if you have if you have spells for your character, just use them. Use them every day. Because, mm -hmm. you know, you never know what they're good for until you use them and figure that out. And never worry about saving your spell slots. 
Yeah, you can rest anytime. You can now. <laughs> well, all right. Uh, thank you all for listening. If you want to contact us here at Dodecahedron, you can hit us up on Twitter, which is at podcast dodeca, or you can send us an email, find us on Facebook, find us on Instagram or Tumblr, all at dodecapodcast. So that's dodecapodcast at gmail.com, facebook.com slash dodecapodcast, at dodecapodcast on Instagram, and dodecapodcast on Tumblr, which I, n- I really need to use that more. Oh, I never use it. I have no idea what Tumblr is. <laughs> it's a it's a really good place to compile a lot of like fun stuff about role-playing, and I should nice. really be just reblogging stuff to that way more often. But... From all of us here at Dodecahedron, thank you for listening. Would you care to say our outline? We look forward to seeing you on our next adventure.